Our Father, we're thankful again and reminded, reminded by you of your grace and its sufficiency, whatever our trials in life, whatever our circumstances may be, whatever our interests, goals, and commitments are, you are in the middle of all of this because we're in the very center of your will in this time of grace. Uh, you're working out your glory in and through the church, the body of Christ. Thank you, Father, for the knowledge of that, for opening up the scriptures so that we might know what you're doing today, what your grace is all about through the finished work, the completed sacrifice uh, so many years ago now uh, by the incarnate Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he offered up himself freely, uh, knowing the consequence, uh, and then entered into this world with its uh, sin and uh, darkness, and uh, after some years, uh, even went to the cross on our behalf and uh, sacrificed himself there as well, shedding his own blood. So, Father, thank you for the success, uh, the completion of that part of the redemptive plan. Now we're on the next part, right, uh, <clears throat> where we are uh, living still in this world and listening for the call and the shout and the voice of the archangel to be caught up into heaven's glory, to receive our inheritance fully. Father, we're looking forward to that. Thank you for each one gathered here today and for the blessing of this time of fellowship around your word. Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we open Philippians again today together. Father, I pray for uh, our government and leaders, especially those that are under direct attack by the enemy. The enemy will not cease, uh, clearly will not cease to attack uh, those that stand for that which is right and truly good for our nation. They will not s cease to continue their lies and, and their assaults, their, their schemes. We know the schemes of the enemy, Father, well, and we're seeing them worked out here every day. Father, I pray for our president, though, that he would not falter or, or grow weary in his efforts to lead this country in some ways, in a way it has not gone and many years. So, Father, I pray that you would uh, give him confidence, that you would encourage him, whatever the circumstances may seem to be. Father, we know that ultimately your will will be accomplished. Nothing can prevent that. Satan may have his victories uh, occasionally, but, but your will, Father, will be accomplished. So I pray that our president and those that serve with him would be loyal to the goals they have uh, embraced and you give them success. I pray for our people, Father, who ultimately are the key to everything. The direction our people go determines the direction the nation goes ultimately. So presidents can make a difference, but they cannot change the course of a nation unless the people are in agreement. So, Father, we pray for them that you would draw them to yourself and uh, draw us back from the brink of uh, total collapse in our uh, system of government with its uh, 
prescribed liberties, uh, our constitutional form uh, of this republic. I pray, Father, that it would be preserved according to your will and uh, that you would continue to use it. You'd use us as a people, our nation as well, to promote liberty in the world. We know, Father, the time will come when the plan will change and we know from Scripture what that will mean. Father, I pray for uh, our own group and those dear ones uh, that are uh, apart from us now. Father, I thank you now for this time. Please bless us in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Mm-hmm. Well, I always say this. I think I always say it. If I don't, I should. <laughs> that it's a privilege to open the word of God together. And it's cert- certainly a privilege to open Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, as we have been for a while now. There have been a number of things revealed to us here as we've uh, looked at Philippians verse by verse. And I think the truth uh, that Paul expresses so clearly there in Philippians and the exhortation he gives there really is fundamental to understanding the entire letter. And that's where in chapter 2, verse 5, he writes this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to give the details of that there. How the mind of Christ, the mindset of Christ, the, the pattern of thinking of our Lord in heaven's glory before the incarnation is to be our example, right? And so the witness of our Lord Jesus Christ there, his testimony, and uh, today I'll use that word witness a number of times because I think it communicates something that the other words don't communicate quite as strongly. But his witness uh, is of something truly glorious, it is a witness of, uh, of uh, God and God's um, person and work. And it is a witness we desperately need to take to heart. If we had the mind of Christ always in all the circumstances of life, our lives would be thoroughly changed. Is that not clear? Right? And uh, that's what the letter's about. And Paul gives four different examples for us of this first of all the one i just referred to uh, christ's own thinking uh, considering the redemptive plan that had already been agreed upon but had not yet been accomplished right and and the suffering that would be entailed in that and uh, and yet at the end of it all great great joy so christ was willing to sacrifice that which was rightfully his in heaven there to uh, empty himself, as it were, and we've looked much into what that meant a few times back in our studies here, in order to accomplish the glorious purpose of God redemptively for sinners, right? And at the end, uh, the great joy would be reestablished. Of course, at the resurrection, uh, he entered into that joy, right? But the plan of God for sinners hasn't been completely accomplished yet. There's still much to be done here in the church within our current dispensation and then later 
on this earth in the tribulation period and in the kingdom, right? So there's much yet to be accomplished here. Last time we looked at these things in some detail and and saw that Paul also, in addition to offering himself as a witness uh, of the mind of Christ, surely that should have been clear to the Philippians, but um, they needed to know more, and he gives them more details here in the letter, and he's not finished with that yet. He will make that the major focus of chapter 4 of this letter, and uh, we'll get to that in due time. Uh, Last time we looked at Timothy's witness. Timothy was serving with Paul in Rome and meeting Paul's needs in various ways, and he was a co-laborer there with him. And Paul was willing to send Timothy also to the Philippian church to minister to them, and he writes of that there. Looked at that last time. That would be a great sacrifice for Paul to send Timothy, since Timothy was so essential to his life and ministry, but he was willing to do it. He was willing to sacrifice. He had the mind of Christ in this, uh, knowing that God's will would be to bring great joy uh, as a result of it in due time, right? Um, so, and that was Timothy's witness, and um, today what we're going to do is move ahead uh, a little further. Now, Essential to the whole theme of the letter is that the sacrifices that are appropriate for us to enter into are sacrifices indeed. They're serious. Sometimes uh, it might seem that we're even led to death. In fact, many believers have been. Many have been martyred, right, uh, in the service of the Lord. But uh, <clears throat> the... Um, the expectation is supposed to be for all of us that suffering is uh, to be an expectation, indeed, a reality, right? Uh, all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, Paul makes so clear in Second in, uh, Timothy, right? And, uh, and here... Paul, in speaking of his own witness, his own testimony, uh, in verse 20 of chapter 1, actually says that his goal is that Christ would be magnified in his body, whether it be by life or by death or by death. See, so, so Paul's joy in this life was mingled with sorrows and many burdens, but, but those sorrows and burdens were expected by him. And we should assume the same. We shouldn't think differently, though many are taught otherwise. Uh, so commonly we hear these teachings that somehow God's work today is is to give us uh, wealth and prosperity and uh, deliverance from every trial in life. If only we would, what? do whatever they tell us we must do, right? They're the ones that make the rules. And whole religions and cults are based upon these ideas. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. Um, so that's uh, what's being taught in many places, but it's not what Paul teaches here. He says these sufferings are to be expected. They're part of life. So you may be in the midst of a very serious uh, set of, of um 
trials and sorrows, the burdens may have come upon you greatly. Indeed, uh, some in our group here are experiencing that each day, each hour. But uh, these are not to be uh, considered unusual or strange, but rather that which uh, we might have expected if only we had been tuned into what Paul has been writing here. Okay, let's uh, let's move ahead uh, today with the uh, scriptures at hand. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, in the last verses there, verses 25 through 30. So I said last time we could have finished this chapter last time if we'd been willing to uh, take some shortcuts. I didn't feel that was appropriate. I wanted us to look more carefully at Epaphroditus because... I think as the fourth witness to the mind of Christ, Epaphroditus's life at this stage of his uh, ministry is a great example for us. It was an even greater example for the Philippians, and let us see why that was. Um, so our outline today is that <clears throat> this is all about Epaphroditus, the fourth witness. First of all, his identity and qualifications are revealed. Secondly, his deep concern is highlighted. The great concern for Paul, but he had a great concern for the Philippians as well. And that's highlighted here. His unique value is explained, and that uniqueness is very special. And that's why his uh, witness for the Philippians is so important. Enough so that Paul writes of it here the way he does. And finally, regarding Epaphroditus, his witness is promoted for the Philippians and for us. In other words, they are to take his example to heart, and uh, it's going to make a difference to them. And I pray that it will make a difference to us as we uh, look into this today. Uh, you know, the benefits of having the word before us, uh, having a place to turn uh, life uh, without the word, what would it be if you didn't have the word of God to turn to? And uh, what Paul is writing here was written in a context where the Philippian believers were very pressed in their spirits. They were being uh, tried in various ways, enough so that Paul writes this letter to them. And he's going to even send two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. First Epaphroditus, then Timothy. Uh, he's going to send them because of his concern for the Philippians and their state of mind. Their state of mind was not what it <coughs> should have been. And uh, we'll see more about that now as we look into this more carefully. Okay, first of all, uh, I'm going to read verse 25 to open up this section. Verse 25 of Philippians 2. Epaphroditus, my brother and companion and labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Okay, so this fourth witness, so we've got Christ himself, then Paul, then Timothy, and now Epaphroditus, witnessing of uh, 
how important the mind is and how that mind is set and how that mind functions in the case of believers and their lives here on this earth. Uh, lives faced with a great many challenges indeed. Okay, so Epaphroditus here is called brother. Uh, <clears throat> that doesn't mean they were genetically related at all, but it does mean that they were related in the faith. In fact, they shared in that, and so he even says, companion in labor and fellow soldier. Okay, so the companion was a co-worker, a co-worker, and the fellow soldier was a co-co-co, I'm getting stuck here on the word, a co-soldier, a fellow soldier in the fullest sense. Now, the word for soldier here is the same word always used for a soldier, meaning a military man, right? There are many places the word's used in the New Testament, and most of the time it's referring to a military uh person, someone dedicated, uh, enrolled in the uh, the military, and subject to the rules and regulations of the military, right? The military has a purpose, and the soldiers uh, have learned, maybe the hard way, to know what that's all about and what's required of them. So Paul here is talking about Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier, but of course he's speaking spiritually. It's a spiritual battle that they are waging, right? And uh, for him to be called Paul's companion in labor, his brother in the faith, and a fellow soldier is to use the strongest and highest possible language to communicate that, right? There was a bond between them that was very special. And then he says, but your messenger, that word is the word apostle <laughs> in the Greek. So it simply means that, that he was sent by them. The Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Paul, and they had a reason, actually more than one, but a critical reason for sending Epaphroditus was that they had made a promise to support Paul in his imprisonment. And Epaphroditus is going to bring the gift that had been promised. Uh, I suspect it was probably gold in some sense, uh, hidden properly away. I mean, there were many robbers on the, on the road and so forth looking for people like this, right? And it was a long journey. But Epaphroditus was sent forth with that gift. Now, he also says here <clears throat> that Epaphroditus was the one that was one that ministered, he says, to my wants. Now that word translated wants is usually translated differently in the King James. Usually it's translated with the word needs, because there's another Greek word that is translated wants and does mean wants, and there's a big difference between wants and needs. Wants are not necessarily granted by God. He doesn't necessarily fulfill them. They may be very great from our personal perspective, right? Needs, on the other hand, he is promised to grant. God shall 
supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. So we're going to get to that later. It's a great, great promise of God. All your need, right? But not all your wants. But Epaphroditus was there to help, at least, with Paul's wants. Okay, so that's uh, this identification statement here of who Epaphroditus is from Paul's perspective, okay? Now, the Philippians didn't need to have any information about Epaphroditus. They knew him, knew him thoroughly. They knew him so well. He was the one they chose. He was the right one from their perspective to fulfill this promise that they'd made to Paul, that they would support him in his imprisonment. Now, prisons in those days were nothing like today. Today, prisons are places people want to go to get off the street, <laughs> and they have their needs met and so forth. It seems to be uh, that way, that uh, they're quite happy with the, the, uh, the programs and the provisions and so forth and so on. Some prisons are worse than others, however, and not a place anybody would want to be in, even today. And in other countries, this is certainly true. But historically, it's been true that no one would ever want to be in a prison because even your basic needs there would not be cared for, right? Unless somebody on the outside was paying for it in one way or another, right? And so that's the issue here. Uh, Paul's in, under house arrest, but uh, his basic needs need to be provided for by others. And so that's the point of this all here. Okay, now let's um, look at the concern that Epaphroditus has for the Philippians because um, it's very uh, complex in a sense, and I, I hope I can successfully communicate it to you. Paul has written it clearly. It's just that we need to go word by word and be careful here. We may, may miss the whole point of of what's written. So, Linda, I'd like you to read these two verses for us uh, here in Philippians 2, verses 26 and 27. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he had heard that he had been that, that he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Thank you, Linda. So, I said it's rather complex. Well, what's complex about it? It seems like a simple statement of fact here, and really it is. Paul is simply stating things as they are and as they have been in recent history there, right? Um, apparently, they had heard, meaning a letter had gotten off from Rome to, to um, Philippi, revealing... Something, but not everything, uh, what had happened there in Rome. And uh, one thing it revealed was that Epaphroditus was ill. And <laughs> more than ill, uh, it says here that uh, he was sick unto death, even nigh unto death, rather. Uh, he did not die only because, Paul says, God had mercy on him. So whatever the uh, infirmity was that overtook him, it was extremely uh, serious indeed. They couldn't just go off to the local uh, emergency room 
uh, <laughs> either, right? Okay, so yeah, uh, that's the, the high-level overview, but if you look at the details here, you see there's something here Paul is saying that you might have just skipped over and missed altogether. He says, uh, he longed after you all, was full of heaviness, because he had heard that he had been sick. Okay, and what is that all about? Well, there are a couple of, couple of possibilities. One, one is, uh, as some commentators have indicated, that the, the trip to Rome was exceedingly difficult, perhaps, uh, maybe so much so that Epaphroditus nearly lost mm -hmm. his life in the process, right, of getting to Rome with the gift that had been provided. Or perhaps once he got to Rome, he was arrested and had spent time in prison himself. Doesn't uh, indicate any of that in the text, but that's what some commentators have thought. But I, I think that that's not the correct interpretation. I think it's quite clear, in fact, that the, uh, the challenge for Epaphroditus is that when he got to Rome and saw the needs that Paul had, he found that what the Philippians had provided and that he had brought in this gift was far from adequate. It was simply not sufficient. Maybe certain people had to be paid off. Bribes perhaps had to be made, whatever it was, right? Epaphroditus did not have what, enough uh, to provide for Paul's needs. And what Epaphroditus did in consequence of that, was to work himself nearly to death, okay? Uh, and so he was working. He may have had a trade that's not identified here as to what that may have been. Probably did. They, generally speaking, did have uh, ways of supporting themselves. Uh, perhaps Epaphroditus was a great businessman back in Philippi, had contacts, whatever, I don't know what it was, but he was working himself to death nearly uh, to meet Paul's needs there. And that's what's hinted at here. And that's, I think, why it says he longed for you all and was full of heaviness because he had heard that he had been sick. So when they found out why he'd been sick, that their gift had not been adequate, it had been inadequate, <laughs> then here their dearly beloved Epaphroditus is put into the situation where the only way out is to work, work, work day and night, and the consequence of that was that he nearly died and would have if God hadn't had mercy on him, it says here. So you can see why Epaphroditus would be so concerned that the Philippians heard that he'd been sick, okay, when, when you see the whole uh, story. And that's what's hinted at very, I think, clearly here, and even more so uh, in verse 30. Verse 30 says, Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. So, okay, does that not make it clear? So Epaphroditus worked himself to the bone, to use our figure of speech common today, right, to supply 
what they had not supplied. Now, we don't understand or know anything about what went on in the church at Philippi. How did they decide how much they would send, right, and all of that, right? There may have been a big discussion about that. Maybe that's why these two women were in disagreement. I don't know. Remember, that was one of the reasons for writing the letter, right? Um, but uh, for some reason, they had not provided what they uh, perhaps could have. doesn't say whether they could have or not. But it does say that whatever they provided wasn't enough. And therefore, Epaphroditus had to suffer for the sake, really, of the Philippians and for Paul, right, his dearly beloved co-worker as well, right? Okay, so <laughs> that's the situation. Now, uh, the ramifications of it are greater, and that's going to be revealed now in the next section here. The last three verses uh, tell us much more um, about what was on the minds of these different individuals. So the, we find the unique value of Epaphroditus explained in verse 28. So, Patty, I need you to read for us Philippians 2, 28, Epaphroditus' unique value explained. I send him, therefore, the more carefully, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. So... Epaphroditus now proves to have a great value, and it's kind of unique based upon the circumstances here. It's not only that he's dearly beloved to the Philippians and a member of their group, right? That's not the only thing at all. Now he's critical to Paul, right, and Paul's well-being. And also now there's this issue that it's well known by the Philippians that Epaphroditus has suffered so greatly because of their failure. Hmm. You can easily see how having the mind of Christ would make a difference here for these people who are now taking personally what's happened to Epaphroditus, right? That's why they were grieving. They found out not only that he was suffering, but they knew why. It was their own failure. Now, it's easy to pass over these words and not even see what Paul is writing here, which is why I'm spending the time with this today. Because I believe that Epaphroditus has a value that's so unique in this situation. Paul wants to send him so that they will now see that he's well. So God has provided for this circumstance and for this trial. He's worked it all out. The Philippians failed, but God provided. Philippians, uh, the letter to the Philippians expresses these various things so clearly, right? So great sacrifice was made, right? First by the Philippians, then by Epaphroditus, right? But the complexities of it are realities, okay? And there was this issue now, I'm pretty sure, of guilt on the part of the Philippians that their failure had led to all of this. As long as that guilt's there, there's a problem. There's not going to be joy in the Lord as long as that guilt is present. And so what Paul is saying here is very clear. He's saying, <laughs> I've sent him now to you more carefully. In other words, he now he realizes the whole issue and how important it is, 
that this all be worked out, right? This issue be worked out of their probable guilt. So he now sends, wants to send back Epaphroditus, who's now in good health, right? And they may then rejoice again, right? Seeing him. And then Paul will rejoice as well, because Paul has also a great burden for the Philippians. Paul's joy, joy is complete only when the Philippians' joy is complete, in other words, right? The one is reciprocal and dependent on the other here in this case. Verse 2, it introduced the whole chapter, and there Paul exhorts the Philippians regarding that joy. He says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Okay. So, indeed, uh, joy is the ultimate point of it all. That word joy is found five times in this one letter, and it's the goal of it all, really, that all of our lives, due to the abundant grace of God, will be joyful, right, even during times of trial and suffering. And here in this church, in, in, in Paul's experience in Rome, there's much joy, and when it's lacking, the mind of Christ is going to be available to work through the issues, right? And what they should see, therefore, is that even though they failed to provide the right gift, God made up the difference. That's grace at work, right? The word minded or like-minded is used 11 times in this letter, and that's then the key to understanding the whole thing, right? The whole focus is on having the mind of Christ and therefore being totally dependent on the work of the Lord God for every detail in our lives. And that dominates the entire teaching here. Okay, so um, that brings us, I think, where we need to be here to uh, a point where I can take a few minutes and explain what I might call, I'm using a long word here, <laughs> maybe too long, but what's revealed here is reciprocation. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> in other words, one thing is dependent upon the other and, in, and it has an effect in the other, and it goes back and forth, uh, tit for tat. Uh, <laughs> uh, there are other words in Latin. I won't use the, the, the quid phrase in Latin that everybody hears about politically all the time these days, right? But this is called reciprocation. <laughs> One thing affects the other. Then that and the effect of that will then be reflected back and back and forth and back and forth. And that's what Paul is expressing here in a few words. So it reads simply that the concept is really pretty profound, ultimately. And uh, it all starts with Christ's example of self-sacrifice. That's the greatest example of all, right? Leaving heaven's glory to accomplish the redemptive plan of God, right? Um, but Christ's sacrifice, though it involves so much, will be met with completed joy in the end. And already in his resurrection glory, he has great, great joy, right? Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says that there was joy set before him, 
but he endured the cross anyway, right? That became Paul's example, which then led Paul to sacrifice as he did for the sake of the church, right? Uh, and then that led Timothy to make the sacrifices he made. So he became the, the third witness to the mind of Christ after Paul became the second witness. And now finally we see Epaphroditus as the fourth witness. Now, uh, the, the uh, reciprocation I was mentioned, though, is here in verses 26 through 28. And what happened, in fact, was that because of Epaphroditus's sacrifice that nearly led to his death, right, that caused all of these issues, right? It caused the, the Philippians to be all concerned, right? And they entered into a period of self-judgment, uh, no doubt. So the challenge was going to then be, what happens when Epaphroditus returns? Then their own failure is magnified even more greatly, or will it be the opposite course, that they rest in the Lord and thank God for his completed redemption and grace, right? And that's what Paul is encouraging here, is that they would accept, and it says that specifically, receive Epaphroditus with joy and consider all who sacrifice like he has uh, to be uh, great witnesses of the grace of Christ, right? That's really the whole point of this here. So, when we sacrifice for others, the, the ones who are sacrificed for need to respond appropriately. If they don't, we've got an issue, right? And that was the potential problem here. Epaphroditus' sacrifice led to a problem in Philippi when they found out he had had to sacrifice due to their own failure. Okay? But overall, God was working. And the work of God was to be overwhelming the individual hearts of each of these believers when they understood the full magnitude of it. And that's something I think that's really important for us to learn. Are we overwhelmed by the world and our enemies, or are we overwhelmed by the grace of God and it's working, right? What is it that's really motivating us? It's a pretty significant question, right? And what Paul is saying is that in this letter, consider the witness of Christ, his mindset, right, in giving himself for us. Consider the witness of Paul. Consider the witness of Timothy. And don't forget the witness of Epaphroditus. Very, very significant. He had worked himself nearly to the death to make up for their failure to provide, right? Now that Paul is so direct about this kind of amazes me, right? In the end of the section, he says, to supply your lack of service toward me. He could have just let it stand. It's like rubbing it in, kind of. But I think the point of that is that as believers, we're not to disregard reality, 
Reality is as it is as it is. Your failures may indeed lead to other circumstances that seem overwhelming, right? But God's grace is still at work. And he'll work all things together for your good. And it should be clear to us that that's exactly what he's involved in doing, right? Now, when we get to the last section here, um, verses 29 and 30, Lisa, I'd like you to read that now. But uh, what we see is that Epaphroditus's witness, because it's so critically important for the Philippians, it's highlighted here again. He doesn't leave it with what's already been said. He said a lot earlier, but now he's going to underscore it again with the reality made clear as well, right? So God is able to, in the brokenness of our hearts, still work out his glory in a marvelous way. If only we would see it, open our eyes to see it. And that's what Paul is writing about. So, Lisa, please read verses 29 and 30. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Okay, thank you, Lisa. Receive him in the Lord with all gladness. That's all joy, all joy, joy, joy. In fact, joy, uh, as I've said before, is such a um, powerful theme in this letter, right? Rejoice, and again I say rejoice, right? Hmm. We'll get to that. Um, And then all reputation, he says, hold such in reputation. All those that have sacrificed so much for the sake of the Lord, he says, value them very, very highly. Okay? Uh, And that's another theme in the letter, which is together in the body of Christ, we minister one to the other. We need each one, and we need to value highly their sacrifice. But not to disregard realities such as they are. We're all sinners nevertheless. We make errors in judgment. We uh, choose the wrong course on occasion. But God is still at work, and his grace is still sufficient for us. And uh, so we should always find good reason to rest in the Lord, to rest in the Lord. Well, that brings us to a point where I would like to exhort you and myself Uh, Paul teaches in this letter how to live life on a higher plane, doesn't he? Above the (laughs) tactical issues of this life, right? Focused on the overall strategic issues that are at work here. Because the Lord God is working in our lives. Earlier he said he he is working to will and to do in, in us according to his good pleasure, right? And so he says, without, uh, or rather with, (laughs) not without, but with fear and trembling. Uh, Consider the magnitude of this, that God is at work in us. We're still sinners. Our sin nature is still here, 
still alive and well, but we have a new nature in which God is working to give us these desires that honor him, right? Consider the magnitude of this. Actually, if you think of it properly, when Christ came into this world, he took upon himself a perfect human nature, right? Not a sinful one, but here are we, a sinful person taking on Christ. You see how complementary this is. It is with fear and trembling we should consider uh, what God is doing in and through us. And I want us to be encouraged by what Paul writes near the end of the letter. Patty, would you read for us in Philippians chapter 4? Because that's really an exhortation we should uh, have well in mind as we finish up today. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. <clears throat> but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God, because my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That is uh, just such a wonderful thing. It's precious indeed, right? They had failed to provide all that was needed, but God made the difference, right? And Paul wrote in that same context, we'll get to it later in chapter 4, but he says... Um, so much. Well, he even says it in the verses that you just read. But uh, uh, even though there are lacks in his life, he rejoices. When the when life is full of abundance, he rejoices. Whether it's the one or the other, he rejoices. Right? Why? Because God's grace makes the difference. And praise the Lord. That's what it is to live in the realm of the abundance of God's grace today, right? So Philippians has a great message for us. I pray that we'll be encouraged by it and that uh, you have been today. Are there any comments or questions today? Patty wants to say something. Well, there's a verse that you referred to earlier in Hebrews 12, verse 2. Mm -hmm. So I um, did a search and looked it up, and I'd like to share that with each of us because um, this joy that comes from the grace of God um, is um, part of this mind mm -hmm. in us that was also in Christ Jesus. So Hebrews 12, 2, that you, you referred to earlier in the lesson says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hmm. Yeah, the words there that always strike me are despising the shame. So the trials of the cross were so great, we can't even conceive of them, right? 
And one of the greatest is one we may, may not even ever consider because we don't understand it fully, but he did, right? And that's the shame of it. Cursed is he that, what? Hangs on the tree. Right. Okay, any other comments today or questions? Okay, well, then let's thank the Lord. Thank you, Father. It's been a great uh, time here in your word as you've brought to our mind and heart uh, these precious words of the Apostle Paul. I, I pray that these words would empower us, that they would strengthen us, that you'd use them to be a vehicle uh, of your power and grace in our lives. May we never forget these examples that are set before us, these four witnesses, really. What are they witnesses of? But of your work, Father, of your work in the redemptive uh, plan of of, uh, of the ages, decided on in eternity past, and then finally brought into reality in Christ's incarnation, and then his death, burial, and resurrection. Father, that has changed everything, not only the course of history, but, of course, our lives personally. Thank you, Father, for that. And uh, may those in our group, Father, that are suffering trials in various ways today find your grace to be sufficient. And may those of us who are enjoying abundance at this moment uh, also realize that even without these blessings, we would have every reason to rejoice. Father, thank you that our joy is unspeakable and full of glory in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that I pray. And amen.